Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And before I introduce you to our guest today, I'm, I'm wondering if you want to play a little game with me. Have you ever noticed that there's this little voice in our head? Some people call it the inner critic. Some people call it the committee. Some people call it the negative Nancy. And I apologize if your name's Nancy. But when we wake up in the morning, when you look in the mirror, we're often not filled with empowering thoughts. It's, oh, I look too old, or I'm too big, or whatever that is. And just be conscious. This is my request for all of us for our show today, and even for the rest of your day. Pay attention to what that little voice says. It's not often our friend. It's very often criticizing. It's often uh, talking negative talk. Um, it's not seeing everything through the lens of possibility and what may be possible. And as we on this show talk about some pretty wild, incredible journeys and shows, just pay attention to that little voice. And if it's chiming in with its two cents, let's try to make a practice of just setting it aside for this hour and really listening. Because I think when you can pay attention and be in the present moment, um, you hear some things you not normally would hear if you're just paying attention to that little voice. So I hope that's I made myself clear there, and I'm asking you to do it pretty much because I'm asking me to do it, and uh, I don't ask you to do anything that I'm not taking on myself. So let's get on to our show. This is episode 75, I'm thrilled to say, and coming to us from British Columbia, we have Garnet Schulhauser. Garnet is a retired lawyer who practiced corporate law for over 30 years. In 2007, he had an experience that changed his life forever. I'm going to let you, let Garnet tell his story in a minute, so I won't tell you any more. After he retired from his law firm, he began his new career as an author, sharing that incredible experience in both of his books. His books are Dancing on a Stamp, Startling Revelations from the Other Side, and Dancing Forever with Spirit, Astonishing Insights from Heaven. Garnet now is speaking and talking on stages and has shared his stories on many, many radio talk shows. And he comes very highly recommended from one of my favorite listeners. So Garnet Schulhauser, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, me too. I've got just a big smile on my face. So I've not been to your area of the world. You're uh, near or on Vancouver Island, is that correct, in British Columbia? Yeah, Vancouver Island, near Victoria, which is at the very, very southern tip of the island. Oh, an area I'd love to get to that I haven't been to yet. Um, so thank you. And I'm on the other side of the coast. I'm in Massachusetts in the USA uh, talking to you today. And you're married with a little dog, I hear? Yes, my wife is uh, Kathy, and I have a little miniature schnauzer named Abby. Oh, how sweet. How sweet. Dogs are just incredible. In fact, all pets are. So if you wouldn't mind, just um, talk a little bit about you and and what happened. I, I don't even know. You've told your story more times than I've read it. So if you give us a little backstory of uh, you being a lawyer and and then what happened to turn you into this author who's really interested in making a difference. Yeah, it happened in, uh, well, still practicing law back in 2007. Mm-hmm. 
and I was very much of a sort of a straight-laced, button-down corporate lawyer, um, and uh, I never talked about spirituality or religion or anything like that. I had been raised as a Roman Catholic in a very religious family, and I'd served as an altar boy for many years, but then by the time I hit my 20s and 30s, I started questioning a lot of those beliefs and eventually rejected most of them because they didn't make any sense to me. And then I was casting about for a new paradigm to latch onto, uh, you know, and constantly asking myself the eternal questions of life, like, who am I? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? What's my life's purpose? Right. And the big one, what happens to me when I die? Boy, I know those questions really yeah, well. Everyone <laughs> asks those at one point or another, Sandra. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so, um, so I was looking for answers. And then, so in 2007, I'm going for a stroll one sunny afternoon in May, just down the street in front of my office building. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a homeless man jumps out in front of me, just sort of seemed to just pop out of nowhere, standing right in front of me. And he looked like a typical homeless man. You know, he had long, stringy, greasy hair and scraggly beard and dirty, slept-in clothes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he smelled like he hadn't had a shower in over two weeks. And uh, so so he really fit the part. And usually when I'd met these people before on the street, uh, I, I would just do a quick sidestep and go around them. Right. Because most often they were panhandling for money. Right. This guy was different. He was different because he had these amazing, sparkling, dazzling blue eyes. And what they were doing was, first of all, they were, his gaze was sort of penetrating deep within me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he was penetrating down into the depths of my soul. And I sensed that he knew everything about me, like my history, everything I'd ever said or done. He knew my my fears and anxieties, my hopes and aspirations, and my deepest and darkest secrets. And I was puzzled because I'd never met this man before, but, but I just sensed that he knew everything about me. And at the same time, his eyes were sending me this, this gush, this wave of pure, unconditional love that was just infusing my whole body with an amazing sense of peace and security and well-being. And it was, a, it was quite an amazing feeling. So I stood there sort of lapping all this up because it was such a wonderful experience. And it was like I was in a time trap because I, I didn't know, uh, you know how long I stood there, didn't care how long I stood there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just happy. I could have stayed there forever just, just uh, taking in this, uh, the love coming from this man. And then he broke the spell by saying to me, why are you here? And then he quickly disappeared into a nearby store. And when I finally collected my wits, I went into the store to try to find him, but he was nowhere to be seen. He wasn't in there. There was only one entrance and one exit. He hadn't come out. But he wasn't in the store. And so I walked back out on the street, walked up and down, hoping to spot him, thinking that somehow he had slipped past me. Mm-hmm. And uh, after about 10 or 15 minutes, I realized that he had literally disappeared into thin air, wasn't anywhere to be seen. So then that night, as I was walking, you know, driving back to my uh, home after work, I thought, you know, I really have to go and find this guy, find out who he is. You know, why did he stop me? You know, what, what's this all about? So the very next day, same time, same street. I went back there to, to try to find him, and I walked up and down for oh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I was about to lose hope when I spotted him sitting on a bench by himself. So I walked up to him, and I said, who are you, and why did you stop me the other day? Right. And he said, I'm a soul just like you. I'm here to answer your questions and help you on your journey. And so then my skeptical lawyer brain kicked in, and I said to him, why do you think you can help me when you can't even help yourself? That's a fair question. Because you've been sleeping on this, you know, it looks like you've been sleeping on the street for weeks and you smell like a dead fish. <laughs> well, he just gave me a big smile and he said, you know, looks can be deceiving. 
because you look like you're a very successful corporate lawyer with everything under control, but we both know that's just a facade. <gasps> wow. He said, he said you could turn around and go back to your office and see if you can find those answers you've been seeking all these years on all those emails waiting for you on your computer or sit down and have a chat with me. So luckily, uh, my, my common sense uh, basically told me that I had nothing to lose by talking to this guy. Right. Uh, you know, half an hour of my day, big deal. Uh, you know, I really had to sit down and explore the matter further with him. And so I found out early on that he said his name was Albert, and he was actually one of my spirit guides in disguise. And he told me that um, I was the only one who could see him in physical form. So that if anybody else had been passing along the street that day, they would have seen me sitting on the bench by myself, talking to myself, basically. Um, and so the first three times that he appeared in my life, um, he, uh, he showed up as the, as the homeless person. And then after that, he was just a voice in my head, and we communicated by telepathy. Now, that's so, wild. That's yeah, incredible. It, 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 so, I, so I was curious, and I said to him, you know, further on in our dialogue, I said, well, why did you show up as the homeless man? Uh, you know, because now we're communicating by telepathy. And he said it was his way of easing me into the conversation because had he just started talking to me out of the blue as a voice in my head, I probably would have thought I was losing my mind. And so this way I could sort of, I related to him as a physical person. He was there. I touched him. He felt just like a regular person. And so then when he just started talking to me by telepathy, I recognized his voice. I was comfortable with him. And I was happy to carry on our conversation. So it was a very clever way for him to uh, to introduce himself to me. Wow. Garnet, can I just go back to those few times that you first met him? I mean, when he nailed right on that you're an attorney and go back to your office and the emails and the questions you have, is certainly that was worth your time to sit with him. But that must have been a really profound moment. Like, how does this guy know this about me? And... You know, the only thing I can think of is I grew up Roman Catholic myself, and I would just imagine if I know he was a homeless man, if if people would have those kind of encounters with you know meeting Jesus for the first time way back when. Well, it was it was quite an astonishing moment because um, I didn't you know when he uh, I, I knew there's something special about him because of his eyes, uh, but when I started talking to him, he he spoke with such wisdom and mm -hmm. uh, clarity that it just came through as like, okay, this guy is really special. And he probably, initially, I, I was questioning about whether he was really a spirit guide. But after, uh, you know, a few conversations with him, I, I clearly believed that he was, and, that, and what, he, what he spoke was the truth. Uh, and and so, he, uh, so it was quite amazing because I, at that point, I wasn't even aware that I had spirit guides. And he came into my life and said, okay, yeah, I'm one of your spirit guides. You have several others. I came here to answer your questions. And furthermore, what he told me early on was that he wasn't here just to satisfy my curiosity. He wanted me to write a book about his revelations so that everyone else would have access to what he was telling me. Yeah. So that took me back a bit because I'd never ever dreamed about reading a, uh, writing a book. And, uh, and uh, so I was reluctant initially, dug in my heels a bit at first, but he's very persuasive, as spirit can be, as you probably know, Sandra. Um, and uh, so after a while, I just capitulated and said, okay, Albert, I'll write your book. And that, that resulted in my first book, Dancing on a Stamp. Wow. Garnet, when he first came into your mind, um, how did you know it, it wasn't just your imagination? 
I mean, when he first communicated yeah, te- by the telepathy, telepathy, yeah. Well, because I because I clearly recognized his voice from when I when I when I first met him in a physical form, recognized his voice. Uh, so there was no doubt about it was this was the same person, um, and so clearly it wasn't my imagination because it was a conversation. I would ask questions and he would give me answers that I would never dreamt of. Uh, up in my own mind. I mean, it was clearly a conversation with another entity. It wasn't my imagination. Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah, you know, and I mentioned at the beginning of the show the the little inner critic that we all have, and if you pay attention to it, it's usually your own voice. So when you're distinctly hearing someone else's voice and it's it's coming in a conversation manner, yeah, it's it really does sound like the real thing. So then, what happened? He asked you to write a book, and how how did it? unfold from there well i um i didn't tell anybody about my encounter initially not even my wife i was just a bit concerned about what she and other people would say oh, like crazy what, <laughs> yeah, what, what do you mean on. you're talking to a spirit guide yeah. like you know you're you're losing your mind you're becoming senile early anyway so a bit concerned mm-hmm. eventually i sort of slowly dribbled out to my wife that i uh was writing a book and she said yeah okay and then eventually i said and it's a book about uh, meeting a homeless man and that's fine and then finally i let on that the homeless man was my spirit guide well, actually, she took this very well because she's very spiritual herself. Okay, good. And she had had a couple of uh, spiritual encounters with her deceased mother and father not long after they passed away. And so she was very much into this. And so she's very supportive. My two sons were supportive as well. I knew I was reluctant to have my book published once I had written the manuscript because I was afraid of what my friends and former law colleagues and clients might think because it would just be very much out of character for me in, in, in terms of what they knew of me before I, uh, I met Albert. Um, and so I debated it for a long time. And finally, as my uh, uh, fellow co-author Sherry Cortland put it, I decided to come out of the spiritual closet. And so I just, fine, I, you know, like I'm going to publish the book, let the chips fall where they may. I knew I was going to lose some people, and I did. Some of my you know, former colleagues and friends have basically just shunned me, haven't spoken to me since I released my book. Right. So they probably think that I'm losing my mind. They'd never say that to my face. I just suspect that that is what they're thinking. Yeah. Uh, but uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the former uh, group were very supportive. A lot of them said, good for you to have the courage to write that book and publish it. Um, you know, so it, it was a mixed reaction. Uh, overall, I won many more new friends than I lost, so it was a, a positive reaction overall. Yeah, and fear is so crippling, both from your point of view, because, you know, I've got a book called We Don't Die, and I nobody in my life knew that I was interested in that sort of thing. So it's scary putting it out there, and you probably find, like me, that there's more people interested than are afraid and will cast you aside, and you do get a lot more friends, and I think your quality of life improves when you start sharing what you really love, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and it was it was a major transformation for me in my life. Before I was an analytical, skeptical lawyer. Now oh, yeah. I've really I've taken a different fork in the road. Uh, now I view things very much differently. I view people much differently. I'm not as judgmental, and I and, and because I understand why I'm here and where I'm going, um, I'm not as stressed out about it, and I'm certainly not afraid of of death. I know where I'm going. Um, and I and I know that I have a mission to continue and fulfill here on Earth, and I'm doing my best to do it, uh, to, to to fulfill that mission. And uh, uh, and I'm trying to, and I certainly do enjoy life more mm-hmm. uh, than I, than when I was practicing law, no question. Wow. So this brings me to the title of this show. It's called "We Don't Die." From your conversations with Albert and what you've learned, um, if you wouldn't mind 
talk about what you've learned about life after death, and then we can get into life's purpose and some of these other brilliant things that fill the two books. Um, but why do you believe from these conversations that we don't die? Well, because he was he, he very convincingly told me, and this is not news to you, but he said, look at uh, you and everyone else, you're, you're all eternal souls. Right. You were created by the source, which some people refer to as God, mm-hmm. um, and we're, we're we're part of the source. We're connected to the source and to each other. So there is there is no death uh, to us. Uh, our physical bodies will die, of course, but then our souls just move on, and we go back to the spirit side where we came from. Spirit side, some people refer to as heaven, beautiful place. That's our true home. That's where we are beings of energy, Sandra, uh, and that's our sort of our, our our true nature, our true identity, and so. Uh, you know, for sure, everyone lives past uh, our physical death. There's, there's no exceptions. Everyone goes back to the spirit side. And contrary to what the Catholic Church taught me as a child, I'm sure they taught you as well. Um, the source does not judge us after we pass away. Uh, does not punish us if we haven't sort of followed all the rules. There is no hell. There is no Satan. Everyone goes back to the same place. So we're here to learn and experience things that we need for our evolution as souls. But no matter how many times we go off course, how many mistakes we make, we always end up back on the spirit side. So that's very comforting. He said, that's just the way it works. We're just on a cycle of reincarnation on earth. And uh, that's how it works. You start out on the spirit side, you incarnate, your physical body dies, you go back to the spirit side. And what do do we do when we go back to the spirit side? I mean, any, any words from him of what it's like? Oh, it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a great place. I mean, it's, it's very much like the heaven that some religions uh, describe. Uh, it's, uh, we don't have physical bodies. We don't need to eat or drink or breathe, uh, don't need to procreate. Um, uh, you know, we can have, uh, you know, through, through thought creation, we can basically create anything that we want uh, instantaneously through, our, through the power of thought. Um, it's, it's a very happy place, nothing but unconditional love. I love that. Uh, there's no negative emotions. There's no anger, hate, fear, or anything like that. Just pure, unconditional love. Um, and it's just a, a place where we can uh, acquire knowledge, uh, try to uh, grow and evolve as souls. Um, and p- one of the things that we do when we're back on the spirit side is we look to uh, incarnate on the denser planes like Earth so that we can experience things that we need, uh, that we feel we need for our evolution. And so, you know, when you finish this life, you'll go back to the spirit side. First thing you'll do is uh, have a life review in which you go over your, your most recent life in very sort of uh, minute detail, uh, however you want to do it, uh, and you can, you can watch everything you've done like you're watching a 3D movie, or you can jump back into your body and, uh, and, and sort of relive parts of your life. Um, and the other thing is, of course, the, the beauty of the life review is you get to feel the, the emotions and hear the thoughts of the people you interacted with during your life, which is a great learning tool because so often – we can go through our life and stepping on other people's toes without really realizing it. And when you have a life review, all of a sudden you can feel the hurt and the anguish of the person you offended, even if you didn't intend to, uh, to, to, to harm them. And so it's a great learning tool. When you finish the life review, then you can decide, okay, I'm going to hang around the spirit side for a while, or I'm going to plan my next, next life on earth, or I'm going to plan a life on the dense plains on another planet in the universe. So entirely up to us. No one makes us come here. We do it freely of our own, you know, volition, uh, and and it's solely designed to uh, to give us the experiences that we need to help us grow. So, wow. How about the other people that are in our lives right now? I mean, I've lost my dad, my grandmother, my grandfather. Is there reassurance that we'll see them again? And also, as you're talking about reincarnation, 
Um, I've heard people say before that we can reincarnate in these soul groups. We can come back and people take on different parts of, you know, we're different players in the game when we do it again. Did, did you get any of that information from Yeah, Albert? absolutely. He, uh, Albert said, yeah, yeah we, we do sort of travel in soul groups. And the reason for that is that we just sort of, we, we alternate sort of roles in various incarnations. So sometimes, um, you know, you're the, you're the father and somebody else is the, is the daughter. The next time, uh, you know, you're the niece and somebody else is the uncle. We, we, we change roles um, and we sort of travel through various incarnations on earth. And it's just designed to, 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 to make it easier for us to plan our lives because when you're planning your life, preparing your life plan, you have to have the cooperation of the other souls who will be a major part of your life, like your parents, your siblings, your spouse. Uh, they have to agree to be part of your life. You have to be, agree to be part of their lives. So it's a very much of a cooperative effort, and it sort of works easier, Albert says, if you're traveling together sort of as a group because then you're sort of used to each other's uh, um, uh, goals and desires, and, you, and you're uh, ha- you know, happy to help them on their evolution and vice versa. So, yeah, you do travel in soul groups. In response to will you see your deceased parents? Absolutely you will. Albert says that when we cross over, we'll be met by a welcoming group, is what he called it. Oh, and nice. in that welcoming group will be, you know, your your parents, your grandparents, aunts and uncles, other people that you are close to who've already passed on. They'll be there with open arms to give you a big hug when you come across to reassure you that they're fine and they welcome you back and uh, help you on your transition. So you definitely will see them. In fact, your parents are likely part of your soul group. So you've probably had other lives uh, on earth before with them. Oh, that's great news. Um, From where they are, can they still be in communication with us or are they busy? I mean, is there like classrooms on the other side? Um, I've talked to many guests and I really want to believe that my dad is only a thought away and that he can hear my thoughts and things like that. But do we still have a relationship even though they're invisible? Oh yes, and, and they, according to Albert, they can communicate with us. Um, they don't necessarily do it uh, all that often, but when they feel the need, they, they'll communicate uh, or leave a sign, um, do something in the physical environment to let us know that they're there and they're watching over us. They do watch over us. Um, and Albert says that, that people on the other side can really multitask, so there are <laughs> classrooms, they can do the lectures, they can, uh, You're funny. they can attend sporting events, they can do all kinds of things. They can do all these at once because basically uh, linear time does not exist on the spirit side. So there's only one present moment. There's no fa- past or future. So there's one present moment and they can do many things. So they can be attending a classroom while at the same time watching what you're doing. Um, so it, it, it's, it's comforting and, 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 and uh, it's nice to know that they are there. Uh, it's a bit frustrating sometimes, Sandra, if you want to have a direct communication, say with your father, and it doesn't seem to be getting through. Well, it is getting through to him. You're not necessarily hearing the, the reply back. Uh, and sometimes you may and other times you may not. Right, right. Um, you bring up the prepare your life plan. And at the beginning, you said you asked some pretty profound questions like, what is my life's purpose? Do we each have a life's purpose? Do we, you know, you say create our life's plan. Do we actually, before we come here, say on this time around, this is what I'm going to set out to learn? Yes, you have a definite goal before you incarnate and you incorporate things into your life plan that will help you reach that goal to meet the challenges that you want to meet and overcome. And so you have a very definite plan. And then in your life plan, you will pick out the major things of your proposed life, the things like 
the place you're going to be born, the identity of your parents, the first language that you'll learn, and then the identity of your siblings and other people. But because when you once you're born, you do not remember what's in your life plan. And because you have free will to act, you often stray off course. So your life is not predetermined. I mean, you, you, you set out the broad blueprint of what you hope to accomplish, knowing full well that once you're born, you may not follow it at all, or you may not follow it very closely. And that's part of the challenge of being a human, having a journey on Earth. So it, it's, you, you have a definite plan in mind, uh, but the chances of you hitting all the points 100% are, are fairly remote because you're often going to miss things. And when you come to a fork in the road, um, you know, in terms of which fork do I take, uh, you get guidance from your spirit guides. They're sending you messages telling you which way to go. But humans don't always hear those messages because they're very subtle. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of the show about, uh, you know, a, a whisper, you know, in your mind, mm -hmm. a voice talking to you. Uh, oftentimes, that's one of your guides, uh, you know, trying to guide you, trying to tell you which, which direction you should go. Uh, sometimes you hear it, sometimes you don't. Uh, you know, other examples are flashes of intuition, you know, gut feelings, coincidental events. Mm -hmm. Those are all designed by your guides to... Uh, to give you a message about uh, how to get you back on your on your life plan path if you've strayed off, um, and some people hear them, some people don't. Um, other people hear them and then just rationalize uh, a different response because your mind uh, has its own sort of uh, desires and goals, and your mind doesn't know what was in your life plan. So you often have a bit of a conflict between what your mind wants to do and what your soul and your guides want you to do. So, uh, but it, it's a uh, you know you have a very definite purpose when you design your life plan doesn't always pan out 100%. Is there a way we can tap into what our life's purpose is here and now? I know at different times of my life, I've just been so confused and not even knowing if I'm on the right path. I mean, is there a way that we can figure it out? There's no easy way, according to Albert. Um, one of the ways is just listening to the messages you get from your guides. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's not easy. Uh, the, you know, as, as you probably know, quieting your mind and yes. through meditation lets you, uh, hear more of these messages, but you have to, you have to listen very carefully. It's not easy. It wasn't intended to be easy, Sandra, because as Albert said to me, um, you know, if and I've asked them this, like when we have our conversation, it's a very, it's like it's like you and I conversing. It's a very direct, uh, and and there's no there's no nothing hazy about it. It's a very direct communication. I've asked him for personal advice in my life. He has said, "I'm not going to give that to you because it would be too easy for you." And if I did that and, and told you every step of the way what you should be doing, it would defeat the whole purpose of you being here for the rest of you know the the challenges that you set out for your life the rest of your life. And so he said, I'm not going to do that. And that's why most people guides uh, don't have the direct communication um, uh, that I have with Albert because that would just be too easy. So life's a challenge on earth. It's a tough school, one of the toughest in the universe. And, uh, you know, we're, we're here to figure out what we should, should be doing, where we should be heading uh, without sort of a, a direct step-by-step -step guidance from our guides. So yeah. um, it, it's frustrating, but that's just part of life on earth. Yeah. And, and I've found too that, and you may agree, if anybody, any one of us listening right now, just ask yourself quietly in your own head, what's the thing you're most proud of in your life, you know, or something that you did. Um, and when you look, it's usually something that required a lot of work or i mean in in my case who i had to rise to be to be by my father's 
sighed as he was dying. Garnet, I would have never seen myself as a patient advocate and talking to the doctors and doing everything I needed to do in the hospital and how I was with my dad being strong in a moment, you know, when he was dying. It was really difficult, but it in turn is the thing I'm most proud of. So I can see where the answers won't just come easily. We have to experience them. You know, we really have to. And, and sometimes they're coming through our hardest times where we get the most growth and and can see those things, right? Absolutely. And as m- many people have said, y- you learn more from the from the difficult times than from your successes. Yeah. And that's very true because that there you have to be strong and you have to resolve to, to overcome the challenge and move on with your life. And it's very easy to have uh, to have a bunch of wins in a row, uh, but you actually learn more from your defeats and from the from the difficult times. Mm-hmm. I can get that. Let's talk a little bit about spirit guides because um, your friend of Roberta Grimes, I had her on two episodes ago. She's just fun, fantastic. Um, she was mentioning that too. And do who are these guides, and do we all have them? And are we led to believe that even though I'm thinking I'm sitting here alone in this room, that I've got support coming from an invisible source? Yes, we all have spirit guides, uh, you know, anywhere from, you know, two to three to sometimes they go up much higher. Um, and, and your guides are basically like your coaches and they're, they're souls on the spirit side whose, you know, primary function is to watch what you're doing during your life and to send you messages and try to provide you guidance. And, and so, and they're there 24-7. They never leave you, um, and uh, usually, quite often, they're part of your soul group. So, for example, with Albert, um, he and I have had previous lives on Earth together before, and uh, now this time, he volunteered to be my spirit, one of my guides for this current life, um, and I have uh, two others. I met one of them. Her name is Alina. I haven't met the other one, um, and uh, so I know that they're there, and uh, they're always trying to help me out, to guide me. They're like coaches, and then what happens in addition is that every night when we sleep, Sandra, our souls actually leave our physical bodies temporarily, travel to other places around our planet or up back to the spirit side. And there we have a, a huddle, a consultation with our guides to, to discuss sort of, you know, how are we doing so far? What should we try to do next? Uh, you know, where do we go from here? And then in the morning, you go back into your body. Of course, you don't remember those consultations, but but you're constantly sort of a uh, conferring with your guides, and it's sometimes you're actually fine-tuning and making little amendments to your your life plan based upon what you've already experienced. So it's a very much of an intimate, ongoing relationship. Hmm. I can only remember some dreams. I've never remembered an interaction like this. Is that normal that we don't remember these interactions that they're happening yeah. kind of out of our... Yeah, yeah, it's normal that you're not allowed to remember sort of having the, these meetings with your guides every night or that, the, that you even leave your body. That's very normal. It's, it's intended. Some people remember them. Uh, most people don't, uh, but it's just part of, uh, part of the incarnation process is that they, they don't want you to remember that you have a life plan or that you came from the spirit side or that you have guides because it would affect sort of your life on earth. They want you to, want you to sort of have a a challenge of living on earth without really knowing where you came from or where you're going. So that's just part of the, the challenge of a human on earth. Yeah, I can, I can get that. Most definitely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your books, Dancing on a Stamp. Now, that's a very clever title. What does that mean and where'd you get that from? Well, it was uh, during one of my uh, conversations with Albert mm-hmm. and I had been complaining to him about something that wasn't going right in my life. And he said to me, he said, you know, um, 
here's your problem. He said, imagine that, that the, the world is like a big, beautiful ballroom. And uh, it's got gleaming hardwood floors. And uh, sunlight is, is coming in through the stained glass windows. And the band is pleasing, playing amazing dance music. And everyone around you is up and dancing and swirling around the whole ball, ballroom and enjoying life mm -hmm. and enjoying the dance. And he said to me, you've spent too much of your time on one spot, like you're wearing leg shackles. <laughs> and you need to cast off your shackles and stop, uh, quit dancing on a stamp. And so that phrase stuck in my mind that he said I was dancing on a stamp and I needed to sort of get out and explore the rest of the ballroom. And so when I was uh, casting about for a title for my first book, that phrase kept on sticking in my mind. And so finally I said to Albert, would this make a good title for our first book? And he said, absolutely, go for it. So that's where it came from, dancing on a stamp. I love the explore the rest of the ballroom. It is so easy to be a creature of habit, whether it's the same foods you eat or the people you hang out with or vacations you take or just things you do. But I tell you, life gets juicy when you get courageous and you try something new, uh, do something you wouldn't normally do. Um, I, I like that advice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's good advice for everyone. And I've tried to, to follow it. And I think I have because I've certainly expanded my uh, my horizons. Uh, I've broken away sort of from the, the rut of being a lawyer and I'm into uh, new things and I quite enjoy it. And, and, I, and I'm certainly more fulfilled because of it. Yeah, definitely. There's that sense of fulfilling fulfillment. What do you talk about? Um, I know dancing on a stamp, startling revelations from the other side. I know there's some questions I should ask you, but I don't know what the questions are. Like, so what kind of revelations besides the, what is my life purpose? What happens? Will I die? Um, I want to give you the floor a little bit here, so to speak, and just share just some of the passionate things that you've learned about what life's about and, and things we need to know that can empower us today. Well, one of the things that sort of it sort of sticks in my mind is that he he basically said, "Look at you know, you you create your own reality on Earth. You know, you first of all you've you, you set up sort of your life your your life situation through your pre-birth planning, and then you create the rest of your reality by by your reaction, your free will reaction to the events that happen to you. Right. And so." You're the author of of, of your own uh, of your own fortunes or misfortunes, mm -hmm. and 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 because of that, you can't blame anybody for whatever happens to you in your life. He says that the source does not manipulate events or control events in your life. Contrary to what a lot of religions say, is that you know if you uh, if you have uh, good fortune, it's because God decided to bestow that on you, or if you have uh, misfortune, it's because uh, God is unhappy with you. He says totally wrong. God doesn't manipulate things, doesn't cause things to happen to you when you're traveling on, on your earth journey. And so it's your, own, it's your own journey. You can create what you want of it and, uh, and, it, and no matter what happens to you, you can either have a positive attitude or a negative attitude and it's entirely up to you. So you, you should never consider yourself to be a victim, a victim of a capricious God or some random act of the universe. Uh, you know, you're never a victim, you create your own reality. So that's, that was sort of a bit of an eye-opener. The other thing that really surprised me a bit, uh, Sandra, was he said that no one on earth dies by accident. Mm. And, 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 and I, he said, you know, even though um, uh, you know, a plane may crash and 300 people perish, right. seems like an accident, it wasn't. He said, you leave your physical body, you die when your soul is ready to, to leave. And your soul has the absolute you know, final say on when that's going to happen. And so 
you know, somebody dies in a car accident. It wasn't. It, it may seem like an accident, but it's not. The, the the person's soul decided that that was a good place to exit, and so that's when it happened. So oh. that was sort of a surprise. That that is a hard concept to get when you've lost a child, when you've lost somebody by an accident, when something really horrible happens. Um, and I think in the midst of our humanness. You know, we aren't meant to remember the bigger picture. So it, it is something where, you know, like I said, that little voice can chime in and, and just set it aside if you're thinking about how can this be, you know, and, I, and um, you know, one, one thing I bring up time after time, watching my dad die and going through his incredibly painful death and even the fights I had with my siblings and things, Garnet, it was the worst time of my life. And so in the midst of it, there's no way in heck that I would think that I planned this, that dad went on his own accord, that this should have been. But now several years after and looking back, everything had to take place the way it did for me to be where I am now, for the level of compassion that I've learned, for the strength that I've built. So, um, Absolutely. I yeah. agree. I mean, your, your dad's soul chose uh, the time to exit and it, and it, it, it's not just for his benefit, but oftentimes when somebody is dying, it's to help other people with their challenges as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it was a big effect on you, and it got you off on the on the course that you're now on. Right. So he did. So did you a favor and and uh, and then made an exit when he was ready to go. Yeah. So that that often happens because souls interact with with each other, and and they're all they all sort of know what the other person's plan is, and they all try to fulfill it. Um, our minds don't remember what happened, but uh, you know things usually unfold the way they should. Yeah, we just have to trust the process, as painful yeah. as it can be. All right, what else did you learn? Um, well, uh, you know, Albert uh, said that uh, not only can we incarnate on the Earth plane. Um, you know, as humans, we can also incarnate as animals, and some of us have. And he basically said, animals have souls, just like humans. And 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 uh, when I questioned him on that, he said, you know, just look into the eyes of your little dog, and you'll find your answer. You'll find your confirmation that animals have souls. So so that was a bit of a surprise to me and to, to other people. Um, and uh, he, he basically said, though, that when a, a soul first tries to incarnate on the earth plane, typically they will start off with uh, you know, more simple life forms like animals because they're not as complex and then they mo- gradually move up to humans because humans are very complex, as you know. So chances are you're incarnated in a human. You, you may or may not have had previous lives on, on Earth, but uh, a lot of people have. And not only on Earth, but there's, a, there's millions and millions of planets in the universe with different life forms. Some are more advanced than humans, some less so. And, and he said we can incarnate on any of those, our, our choice entirely. So it's entirely up to us. And we can incarnate uh, on Earth as, as many times as we want. And when we decide in our own minds um, that we've uh, learned all that we're going to learn or that we're just tired of incarnating here, we can just stop and our incarnations on Earth, go somewhere else, or just stay on the spirit side. Uh, so it's entirely up to us. So it's very much of a... We have the whole universe open to us, uh, and we can go wherever we want to. Wow. Uh, Roberta Grimes on our episode a couple ago, she said something to me that I'd, I'd never really heard before. She said that there are souls that would just love to be in a human body. That So bottom line is feel lucky that you have one. Don't curse the one that you're in 
And, um, you know, she just painted this picture that we should feel really fortunate that we are incarnated in a human form, that we do have life to grow and learn. And in this body is where we can experience the good stuff, you know, all the emotions, all the, get the education for the soul. Does that go along with what you believe? Yeah, he didn't. He, Albert didn't mention that that it was uh, that there was sort of a waiting list to, to get into a human body. I, that may be so. I'll have to ask him about that, Sandra. Actually, what he did say was that he said, "You know, humans, you should pat yourself on the back for being here." He said because it takes a very courageous soul to jump into a human body on Earth because it's a very tough school. So, um, so the people who are here um, probably have had a fair bit of experience elsewhere before they tackle the Earth plane because it's a very tough school. So. I don't know how many other lives I've had elsewhere or how many you've had. We'll find that out when we get back to the spirit side. But, but it is a, it's certainly a very challenging environment. And, uh, um, you know, I, I will ask Albert about that, about whether there's a, a lineup of souls to get into a human body. That's a very interesting concept. Yeah, and so you're still in communication with Albert. Absolutely. Yes, and I should tell you that that, that after the uh, my first set of dialogues with Albert, which resulted in my uh, first book, Dancing on a Stamp, mm-hmm. he then came back to me in a different format. And uh, um, you know, through most of the dialogue, Dancing on a Stamp, um, we spoke by telepathy. It was a question and answer. And so uh, after I'd finished the manuscript, um, I hadn't heard from him for a couple of months. And all of a sudden, I woke up one night in my bed, and uh, I saw this ghost-like ethereal figure standing in the doorway of my bedroom. And as it moved closer, I could see it was my old friend Albert in his homeless man disguise, but he was in astral form. And so he said to me, I've come to take you on a series of astral trips um, because I, I believe that a picture is worth a thousand words. And I want you to meet people and I want you to see things in the universe on the spirit side that you can write about for your second book. So then he just literally reached out and pulled my astral body out of my physical body. And I turned around and looked in my physical body was still laying in bed, sound asleep. And he just uh, said, follow me. And he, we rose up through the ceiling, up through the clouds, and hovered above our beautiful planet for a moment so I could turn around and, and look at it and, and admire the, the beauty, profound beauty of our planet. And then from there, he took me through a shimmering doorway, and we went to the spirit side. And so that was sort of the beginning of my astral adventures with Albert, um, which are detailed, described in my second book, Dancing Forever with Spirit. And then after that set, he came back again after I'd finished my second manuscript, uh, took me on a further astral travels, uh, and I've detailed those in my third book, which is called Dance of Heavenly Bliss, and that'll be released sometime in early 2016. And as we speak, I've been uh, having further excursions with Albert, and I'm halfway through my fourth manuscript. So, uh, yeah, I do still have contact with him. That's incredible. What, what um, I mean... Oh gosh, I've heard heard from people that have had near death experiences, and it's near impossible to really clearly communicate the experience. But is there any experiences that you can share by looking into the one on one of these astral trips that just kind of surprised you, or the beauty, or? Um... Yeah, the, well, the, my, my, on my very first trip, the first trip to the spirit side. Uh, as I mentioned, he took me through this shimmering doorway. It was all, as we approached the doorway, it was all black behind it, like just like black velvet. As I stepped through, all of a sudden, I found myself standing in the middle of this amazingly beautiful meadow. There was like lush green grass and tall majestic trees and wildflowers that were resplendent in a thousand different colors. 
many of the colors you could, you, you'd never seen on Earth and, and couldn't even describe in words. It was just yeah. an incredibly beautiful place. And so we, we strolled through this meadow and we went up a, a, a low hill. At the top of the hill, I noticed a group of souls waiting for me on the, uh, on the other side. And so we strolled down towards them. And as I got closer, my heart skipped a beat because I recognized who they were. They were my mother, my father, my grandparents, various aunts and uncles who'd passed away. Um, and then running from behind the group, running towards me as fast as his little legs would go was my dog, Oscar, little dog, Oscar, who Aww. had passed away 10 years before. And this little guy was running as fast as he could with his little tail, wagging his whole body as he came to greet me. So it was a wonderful you know, uh, a greeting from this uh, group of, of my you know, loved ones who had passed on. Uh, warm hugs all around, pure unconditional love, uh, and they welcomed me to the spirit side. I didn't get to linger very long there because uh, Albert said, come on, I have to take you towards uh, uh, for a meeting with the Council of Wise Ones. So we walked towards this beautiful white city in the distance with sort of tall white buildings, domes and spires sort of gleaming in the, in the light. And we, uh, we walked down the main boulevard and uh, ended up in front of a building he called the Hall of Wisdom. Okay. And inside, we met with the Council of Wise Ones, which was a, a, a group of very advanced wise souls. They were sitting around a, a semicircle table. Uh, they all had snow-white hair and smooth, unblemished skin, and they wore gold robes and white sashes. Albert said, this council is responsible for overseeing all the incarnations on Earth. So it was their job to help people plan their incarnations and figure out where they should go next. And the, the chair of this uh, uh, committee, this council, her name was Sophia. She said, uh, you know, thank you for coming here. We asked Albert to bring you here because we have a message for you to take back to your fellow humans. So she gave me a message, which I put into my second book. So it was really quite an amazing experience. Can you tell us what the message was? Or the message was simply from Sophia was... Um, she said, you know, humans are at a very crucial point in their development. They have developed very advanced technology, but their spiritual and emotional intelligence has not kept pace. And so they let too many, too many times their negative emotions run out of control. You know, their fear, anger, hate, greed, and that results in a lot of strife and conflict, murders and terrorist acts and wars and so on. And she said, we have to be careful that we don't let that get out of control because we have weapons of mass destruction that could basically destroy all life on our planet. They don't want to see that happen. And what we need to do is, uh, she wanted me to go back and tell my fellow humans that we need to discard and reject our negative emotions and fully embrace love and compassion. And by doing that, uh, we will raise our vibrations and eventually uh, and expand our consciousness. Eventually, the goal is for us to ascend up to our planet in a higher dimension, you know, which some people refer to as the new earth. And so they're very concerned that, that we can take the next step before we crash and burned. And she mentioned like a number of other civilizations in the past on earth, like Lemuria and Atlantis, um, you know, rose up to very great heights and then end up destroying themselves. And they don't want that to happen to our current civilization. So she said, I'm one of the messengers. They have many, many messengers and channels. You know, you're one of them, Sandra, uh, who are, uh, trying to spread the message uh, from spirit through books and radio shows and speaking engagements to try to encourage other people to help them recognize the need to get rid of our negative emotions and embrace love, compassion, and forgiveness. That's where we need to go. Uh, you know, we've made a lot of progress in the last 30 or 40 years, but we have a long ways to go. So that's the message that she gave to me. 
Um, and uh, I try to incorporate that in my second book. Yeah, I really like that advice, Garnet. I, you know, it's funny because it's like I don't even care if you don't believe in life after death, and you think this radio show and all talks of life after death and near death experience and near experiences. If you don't believe it, that's fine. If you learn one thing and you or you just take on this one thing, it is to practice love, practice forgiveness practice compassion i each one of us is a creature from our past we've all had our ups and downs and you know what childhood is like we get you know we learn so much of who we are right now is because of things that happened to us when we were little kids i do believe with all my heart that people are going around doing what they believe is best and um, so many times there's friction you feel like a victim you want to fight there's that conflict that you talk of but if you can you know step out of your own emotion for just a second look at the situation and and you know just say you know what if this is a, a loving soul they're doing the best they can uh, forgive them forgive yourself you know we get activated by things and you know if we have compassion um i i read a fortune cookie once uh the message it said the best place to be in an argument is on the other person's side you know getting into that being compassionate where they are I don't know if Sandra Champlain can solve the Earth's problems as far as all the war and pain and things, but if it just starts within each one of us and we have peace, oh my gosh, that can really spread. Absolutely, and and and, and uh, what you said was uh, is very true. Uh, it it seems you know from an individual point of view, it seems like well, how can I stop the war and the conflicts yeah, and the terrorist act? Right. But but as uh, as I saw a Facebook posting from uh, somebody said that uh, you know the how do you save the world? The answer is one random act of kindness at a time. We sh- should have to do our own thing, help somebody close by us, and uh, spread the word of of love, the message, um, and ho- hopefully other people will pick up on it. Uh, you know, uh, acts of kindness have a, an amazing ripple effect. Sandra, as you know, you do a, an act of kindness to somebody, and they feel good about it, and they go ahead and and bestow an act of kindness on somebody else and it kind of ripples out and it can have a, a much greater effect than you think just because you did one simple thing but we all have to sort of focus on that and try to do it and if enough people get engaged in that if enough people realize what we need to do uh, to take the next step up the evolutionary ladder the spiritual ladder uh, you know eventually we can get there I mean Albert said he has a lot of confidence that we can do it I mean we have a long ways to go yet uh, but we've come a long ways and we're sort of on the right track and uh Spirit is really trying to help us by channeling so many messages through many different channels. Um, and the, the more that the word gets out, the more people are going to hear it. And so you're doing your part, Sandra. I'm trying to do my part. And, uh, you know, if we keep on working away at it, eventually I think we'll get there. Wow. Um, Garnet, we have about 10 minutes left or so. Uh, what haven't I asked you? What do you want to share? What are you passionate about? Well, I think think one of the things that I I got (laughs) from my astral travel, Sandra, was that um, we really have to, uh, you know, aside from uh, stopping the abuse of other humans, one another, we really have to stop the abuse of the animals who share our planet um, and our our planet itself, Mother Earth. You know, like we we abuse animals, we pollute our our planet, uh, and and, and that also has to stop because that's just part of a spinoff from our negative emotions. And and what brought that home to me was that in my uh, on my first astral trip, uh, Albert took me to a 
a planet many light years away called Proteus, which was a water planet entirely covered with oceans. And we dropped down beneath the, beneath the oceans and the undersea world looked much like the undersea world of Earth. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up meeting with a dolphin and a humpback whale there. And uh, they said, you know, if, if the subsurface uh, view of our planet looks familiar to you, it's because most of the sea life that you have on Earth was originally seeded from Proteus, so it originally came from there. And they said that they stay in telepathic contact with the dolphins and whales on Earth. This is over many light years, but, but the power of thought is, is, uh, is very powerful, and, and, it, and it's, uh, it's not restricted to, uh, to light speed. Uh, you know, it's virtually instantaneous. So they, they stay in telepathic contact with their cousins on Earth, and they say they don't like what they hear. The, the dolphins and whales and other sea life on Earth are very distressed at the abuse they've been suffering from humans over the centuries, um, you know, through hunting and killing and trapping and and uh, uh, imprisoning in water parks. Um, and now a lot of that has has uh, has stopped to some degree. Still, too much of it is going on. Um, they said, "Look at the dolphins and whales are very intelligent, sensitive creatures." who want to live in peace and harmony with humans and with their planet, and they don't understand why they're being abused by humans. And they try to communicate with us, we just aren't hearing it. So it really made me think, you know, um, animals do have uh, feelings and emotions. Um, I also got that um, it, when Albert took me to the Akashic Records, and uh, he showed me a few glimpses of my current life in the past. And one of those episodes where I came home one day from work, and my little dog, Oscar, who I met when I first went to the spirit side, um, he came running towards me, you know, uh, uh, his little tail wagging, hoping to, to, to greet me and getting a, a pat on his head. I was lost in thought, walked right past him, totally ignored him, and the poor little guy had to slink off back to his bed, uh, you know, depressed and, uh, and anxious and wondering why um, I didn't love him anymore, uh, which is really, and I got to actually feel his feelings in this, in this life review, this segment. So it really makes you aware of the fact that all animals have, have feelings and emotions, and they, they just want to live in harmony with us, and they're not there to be abused uh, you know, at our pleasure. Uh, they have their own place in the universe. They have their own place on our planet, and we should respect that. So that, that was really an eye-opener for me. Yeah, animals are just so much love. And, you know, just you telling that story, I thought, you know, what if we could live each day thinking that someday we're going to replay this event from the other person's point of view? what is it we need to do now in order to make it count? You know, and I'm thinking of this, I live with my aunt and we have a cat and he loves her and he doesn't give me the time of day, right? And I just, I was thinking about that, about Oscar and I'm thinking, all right, I need to be nicer to Harry. You know, it's just, I don't think it, Josh, one of the things I, I'm I'm really getting from all of these interviews is it's who we're being today, the acts of, uh, random acts of kindness, the unconditional love, um, sharing love, being loving. I mean, it's all th- things of us giving. So uh, what a great habit to be in, no matter who it is. It might be somebody in your family or a friend, or it could be a total stranger. It's the act, I think, of giving that actually makes the difference. And as Albert says, one of the important things that we should try to remember is to think before we speak and act, to think about, as you mentioned, how's the other person going to take this? Are they going to be offended? Are they going to be hurt? Right. Uh, you, you know, and if you, if you sort of go around with that in mind, then uh, you, you'll cause less harm and, and less anguish to other people because you'll, you'll try to put yourself in their place and say, what would that person 
uh, how would they how would I react if I was that person and I heard my words or felt my actions and so that's very important and it's it's not easy to do because you get caught up in the day to day life and the activities and everything's moving so fast but if we can do that you know as, as much as we can um, we'll uh, we'll we'll save a lot of uh, hurt and anguish in in the world uh, with the people that we interact with including our pets and the other animals that we encounter every day. Mm, that's great words. Garnet, what gives you the most joy in sharing this message? The, the most joy is that I, I, I'm happy to be one of the messengers uh, for spirit to, uh, to spread their message of love and hope and forgiveness. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that I can make a difference in people's lives. The, the people who are out there who are struggling with the question of, you know, who am I and what happens when I die, I hope that Albert's revelations can give them some comfort, some inspiration to know that, you know, okay, no matter what you do, no matter how many mistakes you make, you're going to end up back in the spirit side. And in the meantime, try to get the most out of your journey. Try to enjoy it. And as Albert has said to me many times, he said, you know, you need to lighten up. He says, <laughs> it, 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 it's not that serious. You may think life on earth is so serious, but, you know, um, Whatever you do, you always learn from whatever experience you have, whether you're on course or off course, whether you do good things or bad things, there's something to be learned from everything you do, and you should look at it as an adventure, as a challenge, um, and knowing full well that um, you know when you get back to the, to the spirit side, you can come back and try life again or whatever you want. There's no punishment, and so enjoy your life. You know, try to make the most out of it, and and, and I think that's very good advice. That's super advice, because um, can we ever really fail? If we come back here again and life is a challenge and, you know, we're here to learn, I mean, is there such thing really as failure? Absolutely not. He says, you know, you can, you can come back, uh, you know, you, you can incarnate 20 times or 2,000 times, up to you. And, and, and when, you, when you graduate from this earth plane, it's you who decides that you've had enough of it, uh, that you've learned everything you can learn. So it's entirely up to you. And, and no, you can't fail. You can never go wrong. You can never become lost. You're always going to end up back in the spirit side where you can regroup, plan your next life, or just decide, to heck with the planet Earth, I'm going somewhere else. So there is no failure. You, you, you can only go onwards and upwards. You can never go backwards. Onwards and upwards. I'm writing this down. You know what's really great about this is if we really take on, like really, truly, and honestly, that we don't die, that we're going to go home, we're going to see everybody again. We're going to choose to come back or not. That we're here to learn and play full out. And like you say, love, forgive, have hope. To really believe that. And it takes, I'm sure, daily reminders or even hour by hour reminders. But if it does give us a chance to lighten up what seems to be available, Garnet, is a whole heck of a lot more joy as opposed to making ourselves wrong or always thinking about what we haven't done or, you know, living in grief and sadness and depression and despair. I mean, those words are are so powerful that can really transform the way we live our life now. Absolutely. And you said it very well. Uh, You know, we have to sort of realize who we are and where we're going. And, and if we do that, we'll have more joy in our lives. We'll, be, we'll have a happier journey on earth, a more fulfilling journey. Um, and, and we'll be, uh, be able to, to spread that joy and that, that happiness to others around us and help them with their journeys. And so that's really what, what life here is all about. Wow. You are an incredible man. Well, in closing, how 
do we get in touch with you? How do we find out more about your books? How can we find out more about the fantastic Garnet Schulhauser? Well, the, the best source is my website, which is garnetschulhauser.com. That's hard to remember, Sandra. So if people Google Dancing on a Stamp or Dancing Forever with Spirit, they will get to my website. And there, there's information on my books. Uh, you can download a free excerpt from each book. Very you can nice. watch a book z- video for the books. Um, uh, there's buy links on my, uh, on my website where you can just click in to get into Amazon and Barnes & Noble where, where you can buy the books. Uh, there's links to all my social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, LinkedIn, YouTube. Yeah, I and saw so those. You're a busy man. Yeah, so there's, there's lots of information there. And my, my email address is on my website, contact at garnetschulhalser.com. And I'd be happy to hear comments or questions from any of your uh, listeners. Oh, that's so great. And also, uh, um, you don't know this, Garnet, but my, some, some of my listeners do, unless it's your first episode. Uh, and this radio show plays all over the place. But as a home base, I have WeDon'tDieRadio.com. And this episode is episode 75 with Garnet Schulhauser. So the links to your website and your Facebook page and YouTube and Twitter, et cetera, and so forth, and to your books, um, I have all those links on your page at WeDon'tDieRadio.com. And it's also fun to go see, to see who this incredible man is and what he looks like. You know, so often we just hear the voices and you just wonder, who is that person? Well, Garnet, any final words for us before I wrap up the show? No, Sandra, I think you're doing a fantastic job in in helping to spread message from spirit. And uh, I encourage you to continue. And uh, you're a wonderful host. Love being here. Oh, thanks. I I, I loved hearing the story. It's so new to me that we can have an experience like that and it's not on the brink of our death like having a near-death experience you know oh one quick question when you experienced that um that trip the astral trip did it occur to you as like extremely real and and like you can remember it like it just happened or is it kind of a distant memory now no it's very it was very crystal clear when i woke up in the morning after a trip with albert it was absolutely crystal clear and vivid in my mind more so than any dream i've ever had and more so actually than any other waking memory of my past life so it was very clear stayed with me for a long time some of the little details are getting a little fuzzy now after several months but it was very clear and and what i would do and i'd wake up i'd go to my computer and quickly type out my rough notes about what i saw who i talked to you know what i experienced and that formed the basis for my manuscript so yes they were absolutely very clear Mm, very good well garnet thank you so much for being our guest today really thank you thank you sandra for inviting me i'm delighted to be here sure it yeah we'll meet up sometime somewhere in the future and to our listener i really want to thank you for taking the time to engage in this conversation and and listen and i know for me um i've heard a lot of new things and something i'm left with is what Garnet said at the very beginning is looks can be deceiving. You don't know who the Albert is in your life. And it may not be somebody who might just disappear. Could be your brother, your sister, somebody you're having a conflict with. They may be the one that's going to teach you your biggest gift in life. And you might be in the midst of conflict right now or struggle or pain. Who knows? Or even joy. Um, but just look for the gift within every person because looks can be deceiving. So in closing, this is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on WeDon'tDieRadio.com. I believe that life is an education for the soul, and that your life here on Earth 
is important. So thank you for listening. Make today count, will you? Do a random act of kindness, maybe? Anyways, thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.